Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. This is the Thursday before Thanksgiving. Next week is Thanksgiving. But, you know, we're going to talk about what one may be thankful for by being a member of a cooperative or starting a cooperative, joining a cooperative. Um, Today, we celebrate also the first snow of the season. That's snow out there. Fortunately, the roads were not no accidents so far this morning on 495 coming around the Beltway. So I got here real easy. And we have a lot to be thankful for. It wasn't too long ago that I had to really get present to what do you, what do you have to be thankful for? It's sort of like every Thanksgiving we would get around the table and say, what do you have to be thankful for this year? So this particular show we're going to talk about and hopefully we'll have people to call in the number is 1-800-450-7876 1-800-450-7876 call in and just give us your name what co-op you belong to what part of the country you live in or the world and what you have to be thankful for what are some of the things that you've learned uh, what's how have you been blessed by being a member of a co-op so we're starting this season. Now, National Cooperative Bank sponsors this program, as you heard in the intro. And Roberto McDonald from Cabot Creamery, Cabot Cheese is what most people know them by. She said the people at NCB are angels. Okay, so the, the NCB, National Cooperative Bank, was formed in the mid-'80s, early-'80s, 1980s, to bring financial services to cooperators particularly in low-income communities, marginalized communities, communities where they have not had the opportunity to enjoy the freedom of democracy, uh, the freedom and the opportunities of the capitalistic society, so marginalized at best and sometimes really in poverty. Poor people working, sometimes two, three, four jobs, and still not having enough to make ends meet. That's my parents used to talk about. We don't have, I didn't know as a young man what that meant as a boy. Don't have enough to make ends meet and borrow from Peter to pay Paul more month than money. Uh, You may have heard some of these things if you grew up in marginalized community like I did in West Virginia. So here comes along co-ops, and they are helping people. They are helping people to come together and, bring in whatever pennies they've got, uh, whatever skills and talents that they have, and they create businesses to solve community problems. And my uncle in New York, they didn't form a co-op, but they had something they call rent parties, which is all all about these cooperative principles coming together, and they would have a party, and they would 
put in money, a entry fee, and they would sell food, and they may do a little poker or something and cut cards, or they may have raffles, and it was all to help whomever couldn't make their rent. So somebody in their multifamily, in their apartment building, you know, fell on hard times, lost their job, got sick, whatever the case may be, they would have rent parties to help each other. And that's, that's an example of pooling resources to help somebody in need. And sometimes it's to solve a community problem. So co-ops form all kinds of different ways. In the early days in the African-American experience in America, we couldn't get money together to have a good funeral. So they, there was no money when you start talking about having slavery, no way to save money. There was almost no way to get any money, let alone save it, because you were at the mercy of the plantation owner, the massa. So people would come together and pool whatever they had to have borough societies. So when one of their loved ones died, they could put them to rest and have a funeral for them. So some of these examples of co-ops came out of Western Africa. They brought them over here with them. In Southern Africa, there was something called, which is today even, Ubuntu. I am because you are and you are because I am. Uh, and so we support each other. We help each other. We know that if I hurt you, then I'm hurting me. If I help you, I'm helping me. So this whole concept of helping each other it came out of Africa, came out of Europe. Uh, it's very big in Asia. So this sort of sense of helping Latin America, it's all over. And you, if you go back and you look at the tribes, the way that we, we form tribes and people come together, everybody had their task to do. Okay, the men had their task, the women had their task, the young people had their task. And everybody had their task to do such that if somebody didn't do their task, the whole community lost that. So everybody, the whole community was dependent on everybody doing what they were supposed to do in order to, for the community to survive. That's cooperation. That's all that is. And so if you go back and, and you look at history, and the, this is a side, but I, I had a, a wonderful opportunity to take a helicopter ride around the Grand Canyon. And because it was in a helicopter, we could really see how people live in caves. I don't know how they came down. It must have been ropes or grapevines or something. They would come down the, the side of the cliff of the mountain, and they would go into caves. And they looked like little apartment buildings, okay? Uh, and they had these little caves. And, and so everybody had to work together in order to survive. This survival piece pooling whatever resources that you had so the family, the individual, the family, the community could survive, cooperation. And that is, when you look at the ethical values of cooperatives, these were formed in 1844 in Europe. They talked about the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility and caring for one another. This caring for one another is so critical to me. Honesty is also honesty, integrity, really, really, really being your word, being your word. Transparency or openness is what they call it. Transparency. I mean, wouldn't it be great if everybody could see everybody's financials? 
I think it would be great because people wouldn't hide. And whether that's 45 or, and I would love to see this happen in housing co-ops, which is where I learned about co-ops, managing housing co-ops. That if all the different cooperators, housing co-ops, could see each other's financials, then the peer, they would learn, lessons learned on what is good, what does good management look like? Okay, governance and management. They look at each other and then learn from each other. Somebody gets more income or more savings. And why? What is going on that caused them to do that? Perhaps they spend less. Okay. Perhaps they are better at choosing vendors and getting work done. So we can learn from each other. Now, there's a group that has helped food co-ops do this, that they all had the same chart of accounts. They send in their financials on a monthly basis. Group is called Cometric. And then these food cooperators can look at each other's finances. I think that's wonderful in this openness, but it's not only openness within one co-op and food co-ops can be what is called a worker cooperative or it could be a consumer cooperative. The worker cooperative is are owned and controlled by the employees. So a food co-op could be owned and controlled by those cash register people, those people that are bagging their groceries uh, in the deli, all of these meat-cutting folk, they all could be owners of the food co-op, this grocery store, if you will. Or it could be owned by the consumer, the people that shop there. And that's the normal way, particularly how co-op started, was started by the people that wanted to come together and create a business where they would have the food that they wanted, fresh produce, fresh vegetables, perhaps food that had less sugar in it, less caffeine, food that was good for the body, if you will, from the farm to the table, the closest time frame to go from the ground to the table. So these food co-ops were started by people that wanted to buy produce and vegetables and meats that that was what they wanted and they had decided that this was better for their health. So if you got people coming together to start a business and we're talking about consumer businesses or employee businesses, they would start these businesses so that they could survive, that they could have good health. And they could come together. An individual may not be able to start a grocery store, but people coming together, they could pool their resources, they could pool their talents, pool their in, in experience, find a way to govern themselves. And I've recently learned of a new uh, way of governing called sociocracy. And I was on the phone with a good friend last evening on a conference called Jim Johnson, who helps worker cooperative form, and he was saying that sociocracy is a great method of making decisions, particularly for startups, because it's an easier way than consensus where everybody has to agree to get people working together because co-ops are democratically controlled, democratically. That's the one of the main, main principles. So today I would invite people to call in. Those that are in a cooperative or have been in a cooperative, I know people in co-ops, 
give us your name and what co-op and what part of the country is and what it is that you have you are thankful for by being in this co-op world. Cooperatives are democratic businesses and organizations equally owned and controlled by a group of people. In a co-op is one member, one vote. Worker co-ops, consumer co-ops, we've already talked about. Producer co-ops, those that produce things. I call them purchasing co-ops. And producer co-ops are more like marketing co-ops. They produce things and then they sell them together. So those are the four major co-ops, types of co-ops, worker co-ops, consumer co-ops, purchasing co-ops, and marketing co-ops. So if you belong to any of those or any hybrids of those, then please call in and tell us what it is that you are thankful for that you've gotten out of this co-op. I mean, it could be just the knowledge, which is the fifth principle, education, training, and information. We're going to take our first break, and we'll be right back to talk about what one has to be thankful for in being in a co-op. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Information is power. Welcome back. This is Vernon Oaks. Hope you're having a great morning on this snowy Thursday morning where we're talking about what one has to be thankful for by being a cooperative member or shopping in a cooperative. You know, we talked about a couple of the cooperative principles, and I like to go through uh, all seven of them called the Rochdale Principles in 1844. So volunteer and open membership. It's open to everybody. Okay? It's open to everybody. It doesn't make any difference about your race or your gender or how much money you have or what your politics are. It just doesn't make any difference. You're open to everybody. It's democratic member control, which we've already talked about. These are the reasons that co-ops rock. (laughs) They really rock. (laughs) One member, one vote. Again, in the capitalistic world, the more money you have, the more shares of stocks you can buy, and then the more power you have, the more influence you have when it comes to voting at member meetings. But in a co-op, one member, one vote. Member economic participation. You put some money in, and when there's a profit, and for most co-ops, there are profits. Most co-ops are successful. Most co-ops, in, I go, if you look five years out, 80, 90% of co-ops that started are still in business. If you look at capitalistic business, 10% of those are still in business after five years. 90% of them fail. Co-ops, 10% fail. 90% are still in business after five years. And there's some reasons for that. Co-ops really, really rock. And one of them is because of what we just talked about. The people form together. They come together. They bring their different expertise. They all have a say, democratically controlled. And so the people, when the decision is made, they really implement those decisions. And then they have a say on what goes on. And if it's a particular worker co-op, the people that are in the, on the floor doing the work, 
they see what the problems are. And then they have a way of saying, here's what the problems are and here's the fix. And so they're, they're run much more efficient and effectively. Democratic member control, member economic participation, whenever they profit, they share in that profit. They share in the profit. And we've given examples that were examples in this program in the last five years, how cooperators make more money. I think if we could get the Bernie Sanders of the world, the politicians of the world to see this, it would be better for, to have co-ops than to even have the minimum wage at $15. And minimum wage at $15, I'm all for it. But what happens when minimum wage comes up to $15, the people that own the business still want their margins. They still want to make the same percentage. So their costs go up, they raise the price. Raise the price, oh, inflation. It comes out to be very, very sickle. They may have a, the, the worker may have a raise to $15, maybe from 7 to 15 or 10 to 15, 12 to 15. But if the loaf of bread goes up the same percent, double the loaf of bread, double the card, double the rent, double blah, 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 then they don't have any more buying power. We're in a co-op. We gave Christina in New York this week. The the folks that are, they had a, they had a workshop in New York for the people that help, you know, seniors that come in and live, assisting. Well, Christina was either she she was one of the assistants or she was a maid service, and she went from seven bucks an hour to fifteen dollars an hour because she joined a co-op. No, she went to twenty bucks an hour. Yeah, and we just had a lady in from New York, uh, Councilwoman Rosenthal, that talked about how people that were doing the assisting, going into homes, assisting those people that needed help. Went up to, I think it was 25 bucks an hour. Yeah, it was 25 bucks an hour. So because they get to share in the profit. Okay, so a co-op can have more profit because people that are doing the work, the Christinas of the world, they get a say in how the business works. So because they're doing the work, they can see what is going on and they'll have a say in it. All right, so it becomes more efficient, more effective. Also, because the workers are members and they end up making more money, they end up in the world, in Christina's world, she worked less hours because she was making twice as much, three times as much money. She worked less hours so she could go home and spend time with her two children. Oh, so whole society works off. The family's better off because mom is there to have parental control and advice and counsel and do homework. Okay, so kids perform better in school. It's just the whole system works better, and she makes more money doing less work, less hours, probably more efficient, more effective. And because she has time off, she's healthier. And because she's healthier, she takes less sick leave. Oh, it trickles. It works. It works. So you get member economic participation is the third principle. Put some money in to start off with. A lot of co-ops they may have. A hundred dollar buy in, a thousand dollar buy in, five thousand, ten thousand, whatever the buy in. If let's say it's a five thousand buy in that Christina had to make, they will make out because the members are creating this. They also give them a chance to pay over time. It may not they cannot buy in for a year. They have to work there a year so they can see if they make a good cooperator. And that goes to if they have they if they share these values, concern for others, honesty, openness. 
social responsible. And if they if they've passed the test and they look like they'll be a good cooperator, then they can buy in. Maybe it's a year, maybe it's six months, maybe it's two years. But the workers make the rules and the, and the policies and the principles of when one can come in. They also can decide if somebody can work there and not be a member. Some co-ops, you have to be, become a member. And others, you don't have to be. Choice. The fourth principle is autonomy and independence. The co-op has to be the one that makes the decision, and not a whoever they borrow money from and not a government entity. And in African, Latin American countries, the, the government was wanting to come in and say how things work. And that's changed over time, I've been told, as we've talked to NCBA inclusive folks, as they've come on and talked about, as they've helped people in different parts of the world both start and improve on their co-ops, how that the governments are beginning to understand what co-ops are and give them that autonomy and independence. The fifth one we've already talked about, education, training, and information. So that if, and, and this is in Jessica Gordon Imhard's book, uh, Collective Carriage, and looking at African-American uh, history with cooperator, cooperation, that this, this was the key to it, education, training, and information. And it turns out to be a key, knowledge. And isn't it amazing when people want to have control over you in the South, in America, in different countries where you have a king or a dictator, they don't want you to get educated and they don't want you to vote. Those are the two things that if, if I've, I've looked over this is that it just happens no matter what country you're in, what the issues are, they don't want you to vote and they do not want you to get educated because if you get educated, you can make intelligent decisions, decisions that are best for you and your family and your community may not be best for the king or the dictator. And the dictator wants, who is that, number 45, he may want want the whole world to operate in a way that's best for him and his family, not for folks in the community or your family or my family. So they really want to fix it so you can't vote. You have no say. They want to fix it so you cannot get an education. So this thinking process is not available to you. This ability to Look at what people are telling you and do your own research and come up with an informed decision. And this is what co-ops are all about. And Jessica Gordon-Nimhard said that whenever a co-op and the African-American experience with co-ops, whenever they start having trouble, they go back to the study bees. They go back to the studies. They go back and they look and they get knowledge, which would help them to come out of whatever the problem was. This cooperation turned out to be a lot to be thankful for because people could come out of poverty with dignity. Dame Pauline Green, who was the president of International Cooperative Alliance, said that on this program, and I love that quote, helps people to come out of poverty with dignity, gives them that knowledge, that education, that training, helps them to have a say with the democratic control and so that they feel good about themselves. They get dignity. They get self-respect. They like themselves. That's the individual, and then therefore the family comes up, comes above. The cooperation among co-ops is the sixth principle, and that is where the housing co-ops helps the credit unions, which are two examples of consumer credit uh, co-ops. The housing co-op shops at the food co-ops. 
the farm co-ops sends their food to the food co-ops. And so that you end up building a society, ecosystem, okay, where communities just keep improving, improving, improving. We'll be right back. We're going to take our next break. Please call in at 1-800-450-7876. And don't touch that dial. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, W.O.S. and 95.9 FM. 